is happening, Draft Draft Nation? Uh, JP, Dan, finally back at it. We had a little funky week last week coming into 4th of July, not because we were having too much fun blowing stuff up, because our lives were kind of blowing up a little bit. I had a lot of stuff going on. He had a lot of stuff going on. We're not going to apologize. We're just going to try to do better in the future. But JP, we finally managed to get this podcast thing happening again. How's your life treating you right now, bud? Dude, it's another draft day. It is another NHL draft, draft day. day. You know, yeah. we might be primarily the NFL draft. We might be primarily uh, the craft side of things with beer, but we are going to venture out today because there's hockey and there's whiskey to talk about. So let's start out with what's uh, most pertinent, though, because tonight is the NHL draft. And now those of you who are maybe listening to this at some other point in time, it's the 7th of July in 2022, which means what better way to spend a, one of the hottest days in the middle of summer or towards the beginning of summer, I guess, technically. But as far as I'm concerned, it's the middle of summer talking about hockey. Let's go jump in. JP, I know you want to rant a little bit on what's going on out there in the world of hockey. Yeah, I mean, the, the top of this draft is kind of crazy to me. I mean, you could go back a few years and I feel like everybody in the world or very least the hockey world and the fans mm-hmm. of it knew that Shane Wright is the consensus number oh, yeah. one pick. It really wasn't up for debate. Mm-hmm. Well, a few days ago, Bob McKenzie, I don't know if you know who Bob McKenzie is. I've heard the name. But uh, I don't know if you could almost call him a Mel Kuyper or Todd McShay of the uh, NHL world. But he okay. does things a little differently. Instead of doing personal rankings, he's got a team of scouts that he basically averages all of their rankings mm-hmm. together and comes up with this big board based on scouts, not his mm-hmm. own opinions. But either way, uh, I think it was like since 2009, he hasn't gotten the first overall pick wrong, or at least I guess I shouldn't say he hasn't gotten it wrong. The top player on his consensus board has gone number one okay. every time since 2009 or something like that. So what kind of shook the hockey world is he's got uh, Slav- Slavkovsky, Okay. As the number one guy over Shane Wright. So that kind of shook everything up a little bit, especially since uh, the New Jersey Devils are quickly advertising. Well, even before this news came out, I mean, they're, <laughs> so I shouldn't say quickly, their number two pick has been for sale for quite mm-hmm. some time. So considering Shane Wright being there at two, you can only imagine the interest within the hockey world. Right. Um, if you're asking me my personal opinion, Shane Wright still 100% goes number one. This is just a case of people overthinking it because they've had nothing to talk about, especially it seems how the OHL canceled an entire <laughs> year of hockey during due right. to the coronavirus and Shane Wright missed a whole year. So now they have nothing mm. to talk about with Shane Wright. And then you have the other leagues because I don't even know if I could begin to explain all the leagues and all the areas <laughs> and worldwide, like right. how hard it is to track NHL prospects. But with that being said, I still think Shane Wright's going to go number one, but it seems to be like three players right at the top. Shane Wright, you know, is your top guy. And then I mm-hmm. said the Slavkovsky guys, number two, Logan Cooley is probably number three. Those would be the top three picks for sure in any order. Is there a world where Cooley goes one even? Yes, but not very likely. I think the way it broke down of like the top 10 prospects for Bob McKenzie or top 10 scouts Mm-hmm. The way the average rankings worked out is, I want to say it was five people said Slavkowski was the best guy, four said Shane Wright, and okay. then one said one said Cooley. So I don't know. Well, that sounds about right. Yeah, I mean it's pretty split. 
this will this will honestly be one of the most interesting NHL drafts that I think I'll ever have watched because there is a little bit of weird chaos at the top all of a sudden, even though I'm not buying into it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the crazy thing is, is then you go to the fourth player on the board all the way down to mid twenties (laughs) and they're all about the same talent level. So like you could look at a mock draft and there could be a guy going at 17 that ends up going four. Sure. You know what I mean? You could mismatch or switch any of those guys around (laughs) because the talent is so even. Mm-hmm. It is so wild. So I really think it's going to set us up for, I don't know. I think there's going to be a lot of trades tonight. <clears throat> I think it's going to be an entertaining. Right. You're going to have teams talking themselves into this guy or that guy that says, well, we need to move up and get him because someone else is going to grab him. Or you might have other teams be like, well, we don't care who we get between four and 18. So let's find someone to trade with and, and go back. And that's where, first off, uh, the right bit. The one thing that I've been seeing a couple of bits and pieces of people talking about him is that, because he lost that year of development. Now they're like, oh, well, he's not going to be as good because he lost a year. Yeah, sure. Anytime you don't play for a year, it's going to take a little bit of, you know, your development out of the way, some of the mental pieces of the game. But it also means he didn't like have any wear and tear on the body either. So I agree with you. I think people are overthinking it. The question then becomes, if Wright is there at two, who jumps on him? I know your dream scenario is that the Red Wings put a package together and move up there and grab him at two. Okay. Yes, that'd be fantastic <laughs> to get Shane Wright at two because the biggest glaring hole for the wings is that second line center, and that is the floor of Shane Wright. Right. But it's going to cost a ransom to go up there to get it. So it also very much depends on the cost because the Red Wings are picking at eight. Mm-hmm. A, I trust Steve Eiserman with whatever he does. I have right. no reason not to. But B, what did I just say? Like, I mean, I guess unless you're going up to the tour two spot, I mean, it doesn't even matter. The wings right. are at eight. They could get a player that's just as good at eight as they could at four or 15. Or you bounce which back. Which is wild. Because Stevie Y has been known to make some draft day trades as well. And it's time with that, with uh, Tampa at least. So yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Whole lot of potential out there. I guess the last thing I'll say real, unless you want me to rip through some of my favorite prospects here, but. Uh, oh yeah, do that. Um, okay. Well, defensively, I mean, there's really just two guys that stand above the mm-hmm. rest and that's, uh, Juracek and, uh, uh, Nemec, Nemec being right. probably, he'll, Nemec will probably be the fourth pick. Yeah. Um, I, I bet some money on that, but you know, there, there's a lot the guy I hope that is sitting there for Detroit that has a chance of being there. I like Savoy quite a bit from Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the guy whose name that I used to butcher, but I finally figured out how to pronounce it. His last name is if you look at how it sounds, it's like Guthier. Oh yeah, uh-huh. G or something like G A U T H I E R. I think. Right. It's like Gauthier. Yeah, well, the French that's are how that's like pronounced. That. No, but I really like Gauthier and Savoy. Those would be two guys that I'd really love to see there. You know, you're talking about some. Well, see, I know why you like Gauthier so much because he went to Boston College. Hey, don't steal my thunder. Uh, <laughs> coolest name in the draft is Lekaramaki, though he's from Sweden, so that'll probably be who Detroit drafts because you know. They draft the Swedes. <laughs> so that's what happens. But you got a lot of hometown favorites like uh, Frank Nazar, mm-hmm. uh, who I think is committed to Michigan as well. Mm-hmm. Um, man, you could even go to, like, I'm looking at a big board right now, like Brad Lambert at 16. I could see mm-hmm. people going high on him. Um, but obviously, I skipped over a couple other names at right. the top, like a Ka- Camel. I, I, I don't know. I can what? literally read off prospect. <laughs> four through 20 like i said and they're all Mm -hmm. the exact same caliber marco casper is another guy that you know it's he could go he could go eight at the red wings or he could Mm -hmm. be there at the end of the first it's really 
really strange. And same with like a Connor Geeky. The one thing I will say that is of note of this draft is there's a lot of GMs who like I've heard over like close to half the league, I would say, mm-hmm. who've basically told all their scouts and whatnot, don't waste your time on any players from Russia. Cause I re- obviously <laughs> everything that's going on right. in the news. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a PR play or just the fact that they have no idea when these players from Russia, it's, this is probably the reason why, but right. when would they ever be able to come over here mm-hmm. to play? And this is like, they're kind of stuck there based on what's going right. on in the world. But I could also see a team like the Red Wings, you know, our favorite team. I mean, they're a couple years away from playing any meaningful games. So, I mean, if right. the second round rolls around and there's a Russian player who is a first round caliber guy, I mean, why not take them? Cause you're not going to need them anytime soon. Yeah. So I don't know. That's going to be, mm-hmm. they're going to get knocked back a couple of rounds. There's no doubt. They're going to get, they're going to knock back a couple of rounds, whoever it is coming from that, that conflict that's going on right now. Because again, when are these guys going to get over here? Are they going to be inclined to play? Is is our government going to let them in? Is their government going to let them in? It's it's a mess right now, and I can easily see guys who are talented enough to be a few a couple of rounds higher are definitely going to get dropped down a bit because teams aren't going to want to have a guy they may or may not be able to use for three or four years unless you're rebuilding like the Red Wings. Yeah, and like there's a good chance there's not a single Russian prospect drafted in the first round. Yeah, agreed. Definitely. All right. Well, going from one thing that's a bit nebulous and bonkers because we're not quite sure how it's going to work out to something else that's happened in the sports world and the football world in the last couple of weeks. It's a bit nebulous and we're not sure how it's going to play out. That's kind of bonkers. I even paying attention to what's been going on with college football a little bit here and there, a little bit of uh, conference realignment, a little bit of uh, Los Angeles trying to become part of the Big Ten. I paid attention and all it makes me think is like, the off season for the NFL where you got like Tyree kale and Jamar chase and whoever else. I don't know who raced who. DK <laughs> Metcalf. Who's the mm-hmm. fastest. It's like this battle of who's got more power. That's basically mm-hmm. what's going on in college football. Everybody's flexing, man. Well, like, you I'm, had, your I'm going to steal bit, you. Bro. I'm a, you're going to get this money. <laughs> yeah. You had your little bit of a rant on uh, the NHL draft. What's going on there. I'm going to save a lot of this for probably another episode. Maybe we'll, touch this on Saturday, which is, you know, your little college football day. But uh, this is something that I predicted. Irritatingly enough, I don't have, you know, the the amount of proof I'd like to have. Uh, But I was writing a paper in grad school back in the middle 2000s, right before the the first, uh, well, not the first, one of the realignments that happened back then, uh, talking about how college football and television and TV was going to be the driver of college football and the things that were going to change with it, just like it was back in the 80s, when they made the when the antitrust thing happened that kept the NCAA from having complete and total control over all of the football, which is why we have Notre Dame football on NBC and other conferences and different packages uh, because they changed the rules from what the NCAA was doing, restricting who could be on TV. And now because of that, because of the money that comes with TV teams are bouncing all over the place. It used to be you had geography. There was a point in time when, you know, the Western edge of college football was Michigan and, uh, and Chicago and stuff like that. And there was a point in time too, when Chicago State played in the Western Athletic Conference because of weirdness and, and geography. But it seemed like geography was a thing. And now it seems like TV markets are a thing, which is why you have UCLA and USC, who are two teams that have zero allegiance to other parts of the country, jumping into the Big Ten because they know they're going to make a ton more money than they would at the Pac-12. And it's just going to shift this whole thing into potentially, I don't know, two maybe super conferences. Uh, we've joked about that in the past and, uh, you know, we'll get into our geography and our realignment, what we wanted to see happen. 
next time, but it's, it is an interesting mess right now. And I kind of want to just sit back and see how it plays out. I'm still shocked that allegedly the big 10 basically told Oregon and Washington to hold, hold my beer and hang tight. <laughs> well, it's because of the TV markets and what they're going to bring and how they want to do things. Cause it's 16 teams in a league. You can still kind of have some semblance of, you're going to play nine or 10 games in your conference. You know, you have your matchups and you go across back and forth, have your, have your seven, you know, on one side, if you want to do divisions or whatever, and still have it be some semblance of playing teams on a relatively regular basis. You go past 16 and it really starts getting funky with trying to, you know, parse you know out. They're going, going, they're going to go past 16. The big 10 and the SEC right. are going to go to a minimum of 20. I guarantee it. Well, right. The question is which 20 and I, I get where, uh, the Big Ten is coming from saying Seattle and Portland aren't as big of a deal to us, so we're going to pause on those teams. But also, I, I get we've talked about this too. Is like it doesn't make a ton of sense if you know that Washington and Oregon are two teams that you that you want to have. Then why They're are you coming to the bringing Big them in? Well, maybe, but they also might not be coming in in the way we think they are because you're seeing different conferences talking about you know doing unequal revenue sharing, which sounds like such a wonderfully terrible idea. So this is not one thing. Big time would never do that. Well, the one thing we can both agree on, I think, is this is not done. No, <laughs> absolutely not. And we'll, like you say, we'll get into it further in a different episode. But yesterday was the most entertaining day because the mad scramble of the Big 12, Pac-12, ESPN contract mm-hmm. deals. You, I'll take you guys. No, I'll take you guys. Right. <laughs> uh, that was hilarious because it, all it was, was it, to me, it was just, watching two conferences panic and start talking about TV deals. And like, I was watching all this like right. big whoop. What does this change? <laughs> Nothing changes. Clearly the SEC and big 10 are just still going to get whoever they want. And you guys are going to get whoever's left over. Right. But then you have to decide whether or not it's on your terms or not. And the funny thing about all of this, and then we'll move on is the big 12 might actually be in a more stable position than any league besides the big 10 and the SEC which is a hilarious statement to make because it has never been in a stable position and was darn near cannibalized and broke up a couple of years ago. And they just lost. And that's, what you know, people are, that's what people are saying. But how is it more stable than the ACC? Because the ACC has a bunch. The only reason why the ACC is stable is because they have a rights deal and a grant of rights and TV deal up through 2036 right now. And to break out of that is going to cost a lot of money. And so teams are going to have to deal with that teams schools are gonna have to deal with the ramifications of trying to break that hard of a deal they've got this could cost a, a school a hundred plus million dollars hypothetically yeah you probably won't but i think it could and so you got to weigh that versus how much you're going to be making off your new tv deals and other spots the reason why the big 12 is in a slightly better position is even though we know we say geography doesn't matter is because of the ease of of folding some teams from the west maybe into it and the fact that the Pac-10, 12, 18, whatever the heck that you want to call it, is up with its TV deal after next season. And so there's a decent chance. It's the Pac-10 that, now. Right, exactly. There's a decent chance that that those schools would move somewhere else rather than hang around and sign a new deal not knowing what's going to happen. But the ACC, it's easier to poach teams from there is what is more the thinking from the standpoint of geography, rivalries, et cetera. It's just harder to poach it from an actual numbers standpoint. So it's we've long talked about uh, you and I just off the air uh, about there being four conferences and we might not even have four now. We may have, you know, two. Jeez, we did that back in like 2008. Well, right. And we because, again, we were talking about that a long time ago. 
but that's the thing is like we're, we're trending toward that and so we'll dig into more still, about still think clemson miami and florida state end up in the sec real quick yeah once the sec de- decides to make their move past 16 as well i think you're going to see that and uh who knows again at this point it's it, like this really may makes the big difference because up until this point and we'll move off this the last the last year or so it was still like there was lip service being paid to geography so Missouri didn't really fit in the SEC, but it wasn't that far off. Maryland was kind of a hike in Maryland and Nebraska was kind of a hike for the Big Ten, but it was still sort of East and Midwest. Now with UCLA and USC going in there, I mean, regardless of the logistics for other sports besides football, good luck with everything else that's going on with how you're going to get kids to, you know, like I was joking, like how are you going to get kids to want to do a track meet in Ohio in December or whatever? Uh, you know, there's there's so many other concerns to come in there. But at the end of the day, it's money. It's it's now opened the geography bubble from something that was, oh, we need to stay close to our schools to screw it. We'll just fly and the kids can deal. I mean, this this is once again. And this is again, we'll I mean, oh, they're getting paid. I thought, yeah, it's exactly basically, paid. yeah, well, and that's the thing we've we've now basically said uh, school is is now actually an afterthought instead of how it always kind of was. Now it definitely is because how are these kids going to get into class? Like if you're doing road trips like that, uh, where you're flying three time zones, yeah, sure, you might be able to have them back the next day, but probably not unless you're paying for it that way. You could see teams taking a week out uh, that that aren't football teams, talking about like some of the other programs doing a week out to do their road trip to get the games in, and now they're missing classes. So. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. And now that one of the nice things pandemic helped figure out is you can do more online classes. So you're going to see a lot of hybrid stuff going on. That's I'm, I'm glad I'm not in a position to have to figure out those logistics. Good luck to all those schools and all of that. I think that wraps us up for, uh, for college football for right now. Like I said, we'll, we'll definitely dive way more into that and who we think is going to jump into the big 10 and what we, what we think the logistics are going to look like and all that maybe on Saturday, we'll see, but it's time for us to do what we should have done last week and wrap up all of the mini camps and OTAs and off-season news to this point for NFL, because we are still talking about the National Football League in this podcast. <laughs> and even though we probably took the last first 15 minutes and didn't do that, this takes us to the NFC, because we did the AFC uh, the last couple of shows before this. And I think we're going to do the East and the West, and we'll come back to the North and the South, probably because of our Detroit bias. But uh, let's start out in the NFC East, which isn't really the East while we're talking about you know different uh geography things in college football the dallas cowboys are in the east why don't you start with them i can start with them or i can try to i mean <laughs> i don't even they didn't have like any practices man they got a fine uh what i can say is the practices they did have as far as the rookies go uh, it appeared like they're enti- i don't even need to get into the names their entire rookie class was playing well but i remember nice. us both kind of saying you know like did their class blow us away no but i felt like the national media was a little tougher on on their mm-hmm. class, and I think we were. We'd have to go back and revisit our episodes to be sure. But I, I can speak for myself. I liked their, their class a fair amount. But the, the whole thing's playing well. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, you go into some sophomore players. I'll just go with my guy Michael Parsons. You know my linebacker love, but that's what that I kind of want to bring that up because is he a linebacker anymore? Have you even heard the words coming out of his mouth? Did you hear his what he's saying he's going to do this year? He is definitely break the sack record, right? He's definitely decided he's an edge rusher this year. And this is the funny thing is, is he's an edge rusher this year. Maybe once he gets the sack record next year, he's going to be like, I'm going to get the interception record for guys that aren't cornerbacks or something. Who knows? He could do anything. Would not be surprised. You know, what's crazy about that statement is the guy's athletic enough to where that's not a crazy statement. 
Right. That's my point. Yeah. Super wild. Um, if you want to talk about some vets there, uh, you know, they're, this really blows my mind because even when you read headlines and whatnot, you see Dalton Schultz at tight end. Mm-hmm. Like he's star tight end. When did he become a star? Just because <laughs> he had a decent game, there's no other tight end there. And the fact that he wants money and he's sitting yes. out until he gets paid. Yes. Like I don't, I don't, I must have missed something. When did he become a star? Hey, look, in Dallas, they start you on Star Trek as soon as they want. He's to. got a star in his helmet. He does. And that's the thing. It's like as soon as a guy has a good game in Dallas, they automatically say, well, this man is going to be the next big thing because they want to have the next big thing. Because when was the last time Dallas was in a Super Bowl? Oof. I don't just... know if I was alive. I'm kidding. Ah. I was alive for a couple of them. And again, we can say uh, that as Lions fans because we haven't been to one yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, nobody has. At least it wasn't called a Super Bowl. Ah, uh, sad. Damn it. It is. Uh, so, Crazy vibe going on in Dallas's camp here. I talked about Parsons. Is he an edge rusher? Is, is he a linebacker? Got the same thing going on with Pollard, Tony Pollard. Mm-hmm. The guy's been lining up nothing but wide receiver slot here. Interesting. Which, given how it, people have talked about him being, you know, taking the carries away from uh, Zeke, that's interesting. Yeah, and I'm exaggerating a bit. Clearly, he still takes carries. You know, he's lining up right, in the backfield. But-, but I'm just trying to exaggerate the point that, taking a significant amount of snaps from the, the wide receiver, the slot wide receiver mm-hmm. specifically. Um, and then I was quite curious. Dak is finally healthy and, you know, health, you know, healthy enough to play and he's mm-hmm. feeling good. But the first thing I'm, I'm seeing and hearing, they got Dak running more. Which again, like, I do you think that's smart. No, he, it's never smart to have your quarterback they're designing running, running plays for Dak. Well, so and he's again, supposed guess... to be expected to carry the ball a lot more. Here's the thing. Tony Pollard, like Zeke is Zeke. He's mm-hmm. good. He's been kind of trending downward for some reason the past couple of years. Where but there. Pollard's been great too. What I'm getting at, you have two great running backs and you're making more design runs for your quarterback who just got healthy again. Right. I don't know. Maybe it's just, maybe I'm a bit of a traditionalist when it comes to like pocket passing and run second as a last resort for quarterbacks, but. Well, design runs make uh, sense if you space the defense out in a way that creates, you know, mismatches. Because, yeah, let's be honest. If you go – if you have your quarterback as only a pocket passer that hands off, you're playing 11 on 10. Yeah, that's not good time. either, yeah. But having a guy like Dak who has been hurt and has missed time and saying, you know what you need to do more? Throw yourself in against guys bigger than you. No, I mean, that's the thing. It's like if you design the runs in a way – and I'm sure they are – that's going to open up the – the running lanes for him, then yeah, sure. Maybe. But at the same time, it's again, and it really comes down to, are you taking him from three designed rushes to six designed rushes a game? Okay, sure. That's fine. But if you're going to expect Dak to carry the ball 10 plus times a game, that's just asking for trouble. I'm with you, man. I mean, kind of takes me into more injury news. I mean, nothing too crazy here. CD lands battling a little bit of a hammy thing. Who knows Mm -hmm. if that's just a, Hey, my hamstring's tight. I'm not going to practice type thing. Right. Or hopefully it's that because, you know, me, I'm a bit of a CD Lamb fan. Right. So I hope the hammies can linger throughout the entire season. So I hope it's <laughs> just that I don't feel like practicing. Uh, but last note I'll have here, ironically, and it definitely is different from the rest of the division here Cowboys actually got a fine from the NFL. Apparently, the practices, mm-hmm. the few that they did have, or a couple, I should say, I think it's only one or two. Uh, they they uh, got fined for being too physical. There you go. 
In yeah. a game of football, you're getting fined for being too physical. It's crazy. Dude, those are the rules now with the uh, the new collective bargaining agreements. The way that the, the stuff works for the – yeah, I know you and I both know, but the way that – just in case anybody else is wondering why why it looks like guys are getting soft or whatever, it's like it's the idea of if you minimize contact, then you're going to minimize injury, which is both true and also short-term versus long-term thinking. Uh, if you minimize contact, which again, I'm all for guys not getting hurt in the middle of summer, let's be honest, but you're minimizing contact. Now you're, you've got a better chance of getting injured at the start of the season because you're not used to it, whatever. But uh, it's, it's one of those double-edged swords and it's caused uh, a weird sort of shifting period with, with teams kind of almost going one extreme where you've got, you know, the, the McCarthy's of the world getting fined. And then the other extreme, uh, which we'll talk about in a bit with the Eagles, where maybe just off-season workouts are sort of a, a suggestion more than a rule. But another team that got fined is we'll shift away from the Cowboys to one of their bitter rivals in the Washington Commanders. Uh, guess what? Ron Rivera picked up the same $100,000 fine for being too physical at practice. There you go, because they they pushed Crazy each other. World. And again, really what it is, is it's it's you pretty much no contact, which I can't even imagine you're teaching fundamentals, teaching thought process, stuff like that. But how, how do you do like lineman drills with no contact? Do they like mime each other? How does that even work? I don't know. Uh, but the Washington commanders did have a little bit of time to get out there. It gives Carson Wentz a chance to get some rapport with his guys because he is the starting quarterback going into the season for the Washington commanders. So you want to talk about uh, we were we were joking about uh, Josh Rosen getting uh, getting looks from four or five different teams in his first four seasons. Carson Wentz is is like the the you know rich man's uh, Josh Rosen right now. He got to start with the Eagles, had a run there, got hurt, got thrown off with I don't know systems, etc. Had a decent year. It wasn't bad last year. It wasn't great with the Colts, but had a terrible end of the season with the, with a game with the playoffs on the line, and so they decided to move on from him and pick up Matt Ryan. And now he went to Washington with the commanders and everything says, Hey, he's looking good. He does look good when there's no contact. He always look good until he's not playing right know, five games into the year. And that's the question you talk about injury news, stuff like that. I don't see a ton of notes uh, coming out of Washington for guys that are, that are still lingering huge things or something that came up uh, during the offseason so far. But the other big news for Washington is one of Wentz's weapons. Terry McLaurin got paid. Yeah. He picked up $70 million Very much so. Over three years, four years, something like that. And so good for him. He did uh, some news just break yesterday about the Steelers, like refusing to pay Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin money. Like, no, that's correct. weird. <laughs> it's it's weird, it's a weird breaking news. Like, why is it why are you going straight to scary Terry on that one? Well, that's a weird the, comparison. He's the most recent uh, deal that is not the top of the market. Like he's not an AJ Brown. Fair. He's not a DK Metcalf. Cause I don't think DK Metcalf would be satisfied with Terry McLaurin money. No offense to scary Terry, uh, but he's that, he's that guy that you're going to pick up. That's really good, but not great. And putting you in that window of a four year extension, that's going to be putting him in the mid market or something like that. And so that's why you've got guys like Deontay Johnson, because the Steelers don't like to pay anybody. And that's just kind of their, their franchise and how they've always done things. But otherwise for the commanders, there's nothing that really stands out to me. Although I did find it interesting because, you know, you're poking around yard Barker, which is a, a site that's got a lot of collated news and stuff like that. And one of the things that I had to kick out of is a headline from there from an hour ago, actually it was CBS doesn't appear to be a fan of Washington's roster. This just in Washington might not be good this year. 
And they could be, but I feel like they've still got a lot of holes around that team. So it'll be fun to watch how their training camp plays out. But uh, they've kind of been good because everyone else in the division is just hurt. That division is such a a cluster because as as one of the I don't think any team good. Well, one of the random fun facts, right, of the NFC East is I don't think a team has won it two years in a row in like 15 or 20 years. I think since the Eagles had their run with uh, with they share very well. They do. And it's just like everyone's too polite. No, you, you win it this year. We won it last year. It's okay. You, you win it this year. It's your turn. Exactly. Your turn. Go ahead. And then, so that moves us to another team. Why don't you uh, take us through your, uh, your least favorite team in the division? No, man. We got to get this out of the way. Just talk about them. I know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Sorry, Giants fans. No, uh, you know, I got to start, you know, I got to start with Thibodeau here. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on no contact <laughs> yet. They say he's healthy now. But he's out for he's no contact, but he's healthy, but he's also out doing due to an undisclosed issue. That sounds like most so of not, his career. Obviously, a lot has changed, you know, because we're only speaking to like the OTA time right. frame here. And we obviously missed like a week and a half. So, you know, I'm sure he's definitely probably gotten more involved right by now. But um, just speaking to the OTA practices like area, like, yeah, I was there's a bit of con- confusion, at least for me. From what I could see, you know, too bad we're not being able to go there and watch it in person. But interesting. It's very interesting because I see it. I, I feel like it's noteworthy because I, I think he's this the sky is the limit with this guy. Sure. I wouldn't have been mad if Detroit drafted him, but mm-hmm. I always wondered if, you know, was he like injury prone at Oregon or what was going on? Was he treating it like a business where he's just like, hey, you know, like, there's no, I've proved what I need to prove in college. Right. There's nothing more I need to do. Like, I get like that. what, what is he going to look like in the pros? Like, is this going to continue where he just misses games for mm-hmm. minorish in, injuries? I don't know. We'll see. I don't want to, I like the guy a lot. I'm just curious to see what happens with this whole he can situation. Go either way. He really can go either way. This yeah. kid could end up just absolutely. And I say kid, he's a huge, huge human, but he could absolutely dominate and he could completely just like, sleepwalk his way through a few years it, i'm i'm very curious to see how his career is going to play out same same i like him though just curious um i guess going to some more bigger names on the team uh saquon barkley you know he, he's believing in his knee again so he mm-hmm. appears to be back to 100 percent or very close to it and you know what 90 percent of a, a saquon barkley is probably still a top two or three running back in the league. I mean, the guy's uber talented. I'm sure we'll talk about that someday when we talk about our uh, oh, yeah. fav- our favorite prospects at each position because he uh, will right. make my running back list. <laughs> I look forward to him um, staying healthy and having a good year. Yeah, same. It, you know, and uh, Daniel Jones, uh, he's fine. He's clear. He was cleared for contact as well from his neck. So um, nice. it's curious. Basically, what I'm saying is the Giants team, the entire team is finally healthy again. They had full attendance for the practices that they mm-hmm. did have. I had a funny joke about that. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like every single person was in a red jersey. So what were they doing? Running around. Can you even place. call it a practice? Yeah, I mean, we already joked about how you can't have contact anymore. You'll get a fine. But they have mm-hmm. full attendance, put everybody in a red jersey. So it's, you know, it's a no contact and you're throwing everybody in the red. Don't stay away from me. Like, I'm in a bubble. Don't touch me. Is that, does that work for the Giants? Because red and blue are their know. colors. Maybe red's their, their off-season color now. Could be. Could <laughs> be. But the joke, though, if any, you know, if anybody wonders about the, the lack of content around OTAs these days, because it doesn't seem like many teams practice anymore, and obviously the fact that we can't go attend these things. 
Right. But the Giants, like final practice, they didn't even, no plans of suiting up, doing anything. They just had a giant team barbecue. Yeah. But, the, you know, with that being said, obviously it makes sense. But um, in the past, there's been a bit of tension in the air, if you will, in the Giants camp. And with this new regime they have there, there's definitely a more comfortable vibe is what I'm I'm gathering. So right. the players seem happier, coaches seem happier. So I don't know, maybe the culture is improving quite a bit. And maybe this team can turn the corner. I mean, they do have a lot of young talent on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see what they do. Like you say, this division's up for grabs. I'm not picking them to win by any means, but mm-hmm. if they can stay healthy and, you know, improve the culture there, we'll see what happens. Well, one of the things on the culture note that people are saying is that uh, with the coaching change, Joe Judge might be a great coach, but he definitely was in the Bill Belichickian mindset of being curmudgeonly. And that doesn't always endear you to players unless you're winning games. So that is probably something all of them are looking forward to is a different mindset when it comes to how the coaches approach everything. And talking about mindset and how coaches approach everything, that is the Philadelphia Eagles. When we talk about who we're recapping, you know, the, the off season, but a big chunk of the off season for a lot of teams outside of the rookie mini camps is the mini camp that they do the mandatory kind of three, four day mini camps that teams do usually in the beginning of June, something like that. that's one of the reasons why we were holding off on talking about them until after they were all done. But uh, Nick Sirianni and the Philadelphia Eagles, he just doesn't believe that mini camps are a thing or a necessary thing. And so for the second year in a row, he's like, you know, uh, training camps come around in July, he will. Right. Oh, yeah, of yeah, course. Absolutely. I mean, they're going to be they're going to be doing training camp. But the, the mandatory mini camp, they're like, you know what? We're good. We're done. We don't need to do this. We don't need these practices. Guys, just keep doing your thing. And so for the second year in a row, they basically didn't do the the mini camp thing. I mean, they, they did seven on sevens. They're kind of staying away from the 11 on 11s kind of thing. And again, I get it to an extent because what are your linemen doing in these situations? They're just standing around, you know, hey, make sure you block the guy in front of you kind of thing and so i get it there's a health and safety note to it but it also means that there's not a ton of notes out of what's going on in in uh, eagles land when it comes to actual workloads that the guys have had so far in the off season and so i think really the big questions for them does jalen hurts continue to progress we talk about a guy who you know with the Dak prescott that shouldn't have designed runs well that's jalen hurts game so i'm fine with him having designed runs i'm fine with them mixing those in there because it does give him the option of of going out and being able to throw the ball over the top. And he's just, he seems like he knows how to run better than Dak does just in, and not knocking Dak Prescott, but just Jalen hurts is a running back that plays quarterback quarterback plays running back, however you want to do it. He's someone who fundamentally understands how to position himself and move his body around. Like that was one of the knocks on RG three was that the dude didn't know how to avoid contact. It seems like Jalen hurts knows how to manage that piece of it. And with uh, AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, he's good. Sorry, as I say, not only can he manage it better, but I mean, he's built a little better to handle it. Yeah, I mean, Dak, Dak's not Dak, small. Compared to Dak. Yeah. No. Dak's not small, but Jalen's just kind of compact. And I mean, not compact. He's still a big dude himself. But he just, there's something, you look at him and you said, yeah, yeah, you can probably take hits, can't you, bud? <laughs> and so far, yeah. yeah it's, like, it's like Josh Allen, too. I mean, Josh Allen runs more than I would like him to as well. But I mean. It, just like you're saying, he avoids the contact sometimes because I do see Josh Allen get crazy and lower his shoulder and you know, yeah, try well. to go through people. But at the same time, dude is huge. You can kind of right. handle that a little more. But, you know, Cam Newton was huge, too, and he still broke down. I just don't think it's smart for quarterbacks to have designed runs. It certainly does limit their longevity when you're talking about a league where everybody that's hitting you 
on the other side of the ball is trying to make you hurt. And several of them are bigger than even Josh Allen, who's six, five and two thirty. let's be honest. Uh, the, the one nice thing for Jalen hurts though, is he'll actually have some people to throw the ball to this year because Devonta Smith got paired Max. up with one of your favorite boys in AJ Brown, who, if you want to talk about a guy who looks like he should be playing football, AJ Brown has been always been just a physical specimen. And even the guys in the Eagles have noticed that as well. And so they've been happy to have him come in here. The other real big question for them though, is, you know, what they do after uh, Dallas Goodert, who actually is something resembling a star tight end, unlike what they're trying to do with Schultz in Dallas. Uh, he still can develop, but they don't really have a lot of a uh, good second tight end right now. And that's kind of the question mark for them with Sacker. It's not being there anymore. I mean, even though AJ Brown is probably as big as a tight end, I don't think they're going to bring him into block too much. No. As far as the Phillies defense is concerned, uh, they, they absolutely love, Darius Slay and what he's been doing as far as kind of setting the tone for that team. Uh, and otherwise, I mean, the real question is, is N'Kobe Dean going to be starting at middle linebacker or is it still going to be TJ Edwards? Yes. Right. I know how big of a fan you are and I am of N'Kobe Dean. If he's not starting this year, I think he will be by next year. And so he's kind of the big rookie that Whoa. Uh, if he's not starting about. by week one, he will be by like week four. <laughs> There you go. Hot take from JP about uh, his boy, N'Kobe Dean. He's, is he your favorite linebacker this year? No, Chad Muma. Come on. Everybody oh, right. Of course. That. Sorry. Forgot. Well, Muma's rookie. Muma's not going to be starting. rookie. Right. Of course. I'm just talking about rookies uh, because, you know, we, we know the depth of your love for the linebacker position, but that's pretty much it for the Eagles. Uh, again, I might be missing something there on an injury note or something like that, but really overall they've got a pretty low key off season so far. Once the training camp starts up, that's when we'll, we'll be paying more attention what they're up to. So let's hop out West. Where do you want to start? I'm going to go, I'm going to go to my squad here, San Fran, baby. All right. Good. Uh, yeah. We'll talk a little bit, you know, we'll talk with rookies first, uh, Drake, Drake Jackson out of USC here, local guy, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, now again, no contact. So I'm saying he's, Initially, even when I was, you know, watching this and reading this, it's, it's causing lots of pressures. I'm like, okay, well, pressures are great, but then they're like, oh yeah, you can't really sack. You're not going to sack the quarterback, but he's getting in the backfield a ton, burning the burning the alignment, causing pressures. I mean, he can't get sacks, but he's causing some interceptions, a lot of uh, incomplete passes. Actually, I shouldn't say a lot of incomplete passes because this is a great segue. I mean, a lot of it might have been done with backup QBs too, but uh, it's a good segue right into my guy Trey Lance here. Mm -hmm. So if you compile all of his stats from the practices they did have, right? Yeah. He threw, he threw 67 pass attempts, completed 50 of them for six tutties. And guess what? All without any of the starters. I'm talking no George Kittle, no Debo Samuel, no backfield help, no no Elijah Mitchell. Like none of the uh, gray, none of these guys were in there. This makes me 50 happy. for 67, six tutties, no interceptions. I so like that. This. Yep. Some some of these were with Drake Jackson's impact was definitely done non-Trey Lance. Maybe it's Jimmy G. I don't know. Hmm. That'll be a curious story. We still don't know what's going on with Jimmy G. No, the word that I've been is hearing. Is he going to be there? Is he not going to be there? Well, I don't yeah, feel like he's going to be there. No, I think the word they've been, that I've been hearing is they're going to let him finish uh, healing from the shoulder surgery and then let him throw a bit and show people he can still move the football. And then I think they're, uh, if I had to guess, I'd Seattle? say. Seattle? Well, no, maybe they wouldn't Seattle. go in their division. But y y here's the thing. If you don't really think the guy's that good, they wouldn't care as much. You see teams you trade guys in division when they're not as fussed on them hurting them. But I think what it comes down to is they're holding out that, that, 
I think they're going to look for the best deal, but also I think they're holding out for a team to have a quarterback get hurt. Yeah, probably. Most likely. But, I mean, the big point there is my guy Trey Lance is looking good. You need to trade him to me <laughs> in fantasy, Dan. Side note that. That is not going to happen. Um, but, yeah, just the last, you know, a couple more noteworthy things. Um, uh, Juwan Jennings. Does that ring a bell for you? I hadn't heard his name a whole lot, but uh, – He's coming back around wide receiver there mm. in camp. Well, I'm curious to see what he's doing. He's catching a lot of balls. Interesting. From, from Trey Lance. Trey Lance is targeting him quite a bit. Now, as I said, there's no Debo Samuel. There's no George Kittle. So, I mean, somebody's got to catch balls, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, the point is, is even he's clearly not going to be the first or even second option on that team in the passing game. But yeah. it seems to be Trey Lance and Juwan Jennings are developing a bit of a chemistry. So, he could be – uh he could help be very relevant and help that offense <laughs> this year. And there's no, you know, good news is knock on wood. Um, at the time I had seen no, no relevant injury news, uh, which is great because it seems like the San Fran backfield <laughs> is just injury after injury after injury. And it doesn't matter who's the running back. They just still play great. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's definitely a challenge with, for what they've had and also what they're trying to do with, uh, Debo Samuel, who may or may not still be a 49er as well. I feel like that's a different situation he will than Garoppolo. Be. Yeah, that's my point. Keep, they got to keep Debo. Right. I feel like it's a different situation than Garoppolo. Right now, it's just wrangling over how they're going to pay him and what he feels like he's valued at and the fact that the contracts are as funky as they are in the NFL with, well, if you're this position, you get paid this much. And if you're that position, you get paid that much. Just pay a man who's going to help you win games. Dan, question. You want play a game? Oh, sure. From wide receivers we talked about on on, on this episode here rank scary terry deontay johnson uh debo samuel dk metcalf uh aj brown rank those guys Ooh, aj debo dk terry johnson that's my initial thought i think i i think i agree with you 100 percent. but the reason i bring it up is coming out of the draft i loved aj brown but mm-hmm. my top rank wide receiver in that draft was debo sure and that was before you knew he could hide. So I, I, Debo is in this. So what I'm getting at, the point is, is Debo to me is in the same conversation as A.J. Brown as far as the money goes. Sure. So, I mean, San Francisco, pay the man. Right, exactly. At the very least, pay him scary Terry money. Now that we're using that as a benchmark. But, yeah, and that's the thing. We can sit back and say that. But, hey, whatever. He's got to at least make what scary Terry's making. Right. And it's it's interesting to see how teams try to value players and then uh, crunch numbers. And sometimes teams get too smart for their own good and end up, you know, think overthinking things and and alienating players. Because, again, it's this isn't a video game. This isn't just a number on a sheet. This is a person who may or may not appreciate that you're treating them like a number on a sheet. So that is a huge question for San Francisco going into the offseason. Tons of questions for the Arizona Cardinals. Like, what are they going to do at wide receiver? Because they have Hollywood Brown and, uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins on suspension and not much else. I don't know. It should be interesting to see how they go. They got Zach Ertz. They do have Zach Ertz. And they've got uh, Andy Isabella, who looks like he's getting pushed out. But uh, their team is in a weird spot right now. The good news is it does seem like Kyler Murray and the Cardinals are on a little bit better footing. That was something that over the course of a decent chunk of the offseason, Murray deleting things on Instagram, who knows what that actually meant. But uh, yeah, that's that, why they traded for Hollywood. Right. I mean, that was definitely a piece of it. There's no doubt they got Hollywood Brown because he's boys with uh, with 
Kyler Murray. And so that's a piece of, of the, the need for why they, they're trying to keep that man happy because you didn't trade what you traded to get him to just have him walk after his first contract. They will pay him. The question is when and how much and go from there, you know, because Cliff Kingsbury does not want to have to move on to another quarterback. Anyways, the team might move on from Cliff. We'll see what happens. The other notes, have you been paying attention to what they've been doing on defense with your boy, Isaiah Simmons? A bit. He's basically, we talk about, uh, about Micah Parsons and what position does he play? We've, we've joked that Isaiah Simmons doesn't have a position on defense because he could pretty much play anywhere just about outside of maybe the lockdown. Yeah, it spot. seems how Arizona does not know how to use him. Well, the fun thing is they've been playing him at safety this summer so far, which means you could see him as a weird hybrid along with Buda Baker and uh, and and some of the other guys that they've got in the back there. And so you're looking at some weird hybrid four two five or four four type flex thing where Simmons is floating all over the defense. And if they choose to do that then I'll actually be happy with what they're trying to do with, with Simmons because he should be somebody you can float all over the defense based off what the offense has given you. I can get on board with that. And, and fantasy purposes, <laughs> man, if he's still, if he's, if he's listed as a safety, but playing a linebacker like Rolf, Rolf, talk about value. Granted, oh. we're one of the very few people who probably draft individual defensive players in fantasy football, but hey. Just saying. Well, hey, even if you're drafting full defenses, Isaiah Simmons is going to score you some points regardless. And the way that those guys are shaping up to use him, it looks like they finally figured it out a little bit because he shouldn't just be an edge rusher. He shouldn't just be a safety. Put him, put him all over the place. Let him, let him move around. And with the guys that they have, they have so much potential for a solid defense that has a lot of positionless ability to be able to hybrid around and match up with different players in different situations question is whether or not they will and also question is when patrick peterson is going to be ready to roll to help out that defense too because both he and hopkins are on those six game pd suspensions and so whoops maybe maybe check what you're putting in your bodies boys it's tough stuff another guy who's been paying attention was putting in his body though is justin Pugh, which you remember him as a guy who almost retired in the mm -hmm. offseason now he might be their starting center apparently when he thought he was retiring Dude slimmed down to 265. So now he is on a serious bulking to get back up to center size. <laughs> so, wow. Because <laughs> he was asking uh, what he's doing is like people uh, talking about like what he's doing to try to get himself fit again and get, and I say fit, he already was fit. That's the thing is like trying to get himself up to where it is, is limit, as he puts it, um, poop carbs, slightly, slightly worse word that he was using. And stop eating by 8 p.m. So anybody who needs a tip, if you ever eat a bad meal, go for a walk after. I think that's a great idea because how many of us have eaten just a pile of crap that tasted great in the moment and we feel terrible afterwards? Get up and move, right? So sound advice from a guy who might be starting for the Cardinals after almost being retired, which is great for him, but also gives you an idea of maybe they should have taken, you know, Tyler Linderbaum or something like that instead of Hollywood Brown. Oh, Nobody ever suggested that on this podcast. <laughs> I'll be very fun to see uh, Hollywood Brown versus Linderbaum and how their seasons go and uh, whether or not that ends up being a huge regret for the Cardinals. But that pretty much wraps it up for them. Their big question mark right now is how much they can pay Kyler. All right. Well, I guess that takes me over to the... Oh, wait. Uh, I forgot one thing. No. Oh. You heard of Eno Benjamin? Running back. Yep. 
apparently yeah. he's going to be a big deal this year. That's one other note to look for. Forgot to mention that because I had it hidden on another page. But yeah, I guess yeah, he could very be... much he could very much fill that Chase Edmonds role. Exactly, and... they're looking for for him. So he's someone to keep an eye. Yeah, that makes sense. There you go. Okay, now moving on. Let's go to uh, let's go to L.A. All right, defending champs. Right. All right. Uh, should I start with rookie news? Yeah. There is no rookie news. They never draft rookies, Dan. <laughs> All they do is trade their picks. Exactly. No, let's be honest. They drafted some rookies, but I'll be honest with you. Like, there's there's no news to talk about them. It's not like they have any, you know, top picks here. Sure. In all no seriousness, they do. Yeah, they do. They do trade their picks, and they get quality players, and they won a Super Bowl. That's the reason why they got my highest draft grade without drafting anybody. <laughs> yep. I mean, is what it is. But for people right. who are there, uh, Aaron Donald's there. I mean, to talk about guys yep. who are talking about retiring potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so looks like he's going to play. Even guys who have retired are there. So I'm not really sure what the heck's going on in, <laughs> in L.A. Because uh, their star left tackle who retired. You know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about? Whitworth? Yeah. Yeah. Andrew Whitworth is there. Sure. Definitely not a player. He's definitely retired. It mm-hmm. appears that they might be grooming him for some sort. Of, I, this is me speculating. I honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. And maybe the news broke and I just haven't seen it. Get the vibe that he's going to have some sort of involvement with the team actually oh, yeah. working for the team. I don't know if it's front office or like the, what do they call these? Like the ambassador role things like Barry Sanders does with sure. Detroit. They're trying to get Calvin to do, but or a, or a quality control, by the way, tangent Detroit Calvin's never going to be an ambassador unless you give him the damn money back. You stole yes, from. This isn't hard. Pay but, the man. Right. So long-term, stupid. long-term guys think big picture, give him a couple million and you get a bunch more in return. Stop being silly. It is super dumb. Super dumb. Plus, it was Calvin. The guy was, like, killing himself on the field for you there when we were playing for nothing. Right. And so uh, – I mean, I guess there was a year or two where we had some meaningful games until we got robbed by the Cowboys. <laughs> not that you're not that you're bitter about that that decision and that uh, call, but uh, on a, on a yeah. Rams note with that, hey, maybe same thing, guys. You didn't even have Whitworth for nearly as long as Detroit had Calvin. But, you know, treat him well, and he'll he's, – he seems like one of the class guys in the NFL. Like, nobody has uh, a yeah. thing to say about Andrew Whitworth. So maybe keep him happy, guys out there in LA. Mm-hmm. They got some new faces in LA too. And man, and one of them's killer. And again, this part of the reason why it doesn't matter if LA uses a dang draft pick right now. <laughs> sure. Down the road, when some of these guys retire or move on, they might have some down years because, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have any, any prospects, if you will, if you want to call them that or depth coming up, but you know, they went out and paid and got Bobby Wagner too. Yep. Obviously Bobby's, probably the best linebacker in the league or mm-hmm. very at the very least is arguably the best linebacker in the league um dude's coming in i get it he's good and he's a vet but he's just he's killing it. his communication mm-hmm. but just with the team like he he's just stepping right into a leader position man like which is crazy it'll be it'll be interesting to see how him and donald because they're both kind of leaders on that defense mm-hmm you know, work that out, but uh, Bobby Wagner just doing Bobby Wagner like things. <laughs> well, one of the things uh, in this say, defense is it the best defense in the league? They've got. Do you even need to talk about anybody else? You got Aaron close. Donald, and Bobby Wagner. You got the best defensive lineman and the best linebacker in the league. I mean, yeah, the only they still got Jalen Ramsey too. Right. 
Yeah, so the only question is whether or not the rest of the secondary can can hold up. But again, they're not they're not hurting right now. And I will say, you talk about whether or not uh, Wagner, Donald, they I'm sure they can coexist because both of them I think respect each other's game. Oh yeah, Plus, Wagner played yeah, with not... with talented guys in Seattle as well. And so I think the the adventure there for them is is and you see that with guys that are proven leaders. Bobby Wagner is a guy who just is a leader, not yes. because he's going in. Ray Lewis style and trying to be loud and crazy. No offense, Ray. We, we love to bash him on the show because he's actually, he was a great player and a great leader in that locker room, even if you didn't like him outside of that. But Bobby Wagner is the kind of guy who's going to step in and people are just going to gravitate toward him because of who he is, just how he presents himself. So if anything, the Rams somehow got better without drafting anybody. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised if they win another darn Super Bowl. Uh, you know what? Because there's not really any injury news or anything like that. I'm just going to end the Rams talk on this. Um, mm-hmm. this was a wild year and I forget the exact draft year off my head, but forgive me, but this again, so I have a tendency for, with, for whatever reason, with wide receivers going in the draft, when I do my rankings, mm-hmm. whoever the consensus number one wide receiver is, is never my number one wide receiver. And I am kind of excited that we <laughs> mm-hmm. have this podcast because it'll be documented ways to actually prove it rather than just people like yourself vouching for me in these rankings. <laughs> But my number one wide receiver in the year he was drafted was Cooper Cup. You've been huge Man, in that boy forever. God, he's so good. Mm-hmm. He's so good. But dude got paid three years, 80 million extensions, 75 million guaranteed. I think that takes him up to like a five-year, $110 million contract. Dude deserves it. Mm-hmm. So let's let's do part two of a game. <laughs> Where does he rank in that wide receiver list? No, oh, I mean, I put him at the top of that list. The The only real debate is whether or not you're going to argue, oh, is he big enough to be an impact physically? Like, because he's not A.J. Brown, but he still gets no, very different ball. styles. Yeah, that's the thing. very different styles. And I would probably put him at the top two. But the reason I asked to play this game for a second time <laughs> is Cooper Cup, A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel are still very, very much in a tier above all those other wide receivers we're talking about. Sure. And it's just, it's just kind of – it's just crazy to me because Cooper Cup makes such a difference for the Rams, and, and A.J. Brown made such a huge difference, in my opinion, mm-hmm. even though it was a run-first team in Tennessee, but he got paid in Philly. So it just – I got to ask again, why is San Fran not paying Debo <laughs> if we're talking about him the same conversation with the Cooper Cup or A.J. Brown? Tell me how you really feel. I'm done. I retire. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll move it up the coast and go to Seattle and finish off uh, the east and the west here. And first things, I'll start with injury news because uh, the safeties, Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, both of those guys, uh, it looks like they should mostly be ready for training camp. Uh, Diggs is nearing the end of his timeline for recovering from the fractured fibula. And then Jamal Adams uh, had a torn labrum repaired. And also, he told reporters, he had two of his fingers fused together after dealing with some issues. So I'm not even sure what that is and how that Hmm. even works. But I guess he's dealing with four fingers on one hand right now in that sense. So the good news is they both should be ready to go for training camp. It's not quite Ronnie Lott, you know, chopping off a chunk of a pinky, but it seems like it's in the same ballpark. Safeties are are built a little differently than other humans, I feel like. The offensive line has also gotten a shakeup with some rookies in there. Our boy Charles Cross looks like he's going to be starting. Uh, the interesting- Can I interrupt for a second, Dan? Okay. I just did you say his fingers got fused together? I'm still thinking about that. I didn't hear anything you said past that. (laughs) I basically, in my mind, just envisioned Jamal Adams like turning into a ninja turtle. What? What does finger fused together mean? You know, I don't have a ton of details on that, 
but he, according to him, he says he can do everything football wise and he's ready to go for practice. So I don't know if well, there's a chance my crazy vision is reality. Does he, well, that's the thing. Is, is, it, he, uh, is it, is it the, is it, you know, your first two fingers? Is it the, the pinky and the ring fingers at the middle two fingers, whatever. All I know is he's got four working appendages on his, one of his hands right now. And I okay. guess it's working for him. And again, it's mostly at that point, it's just getting used to things feeling a little different. My guess is it's not something that's keeping him from being able to flex his hand out wide, whether that's, you know, the outside two fingers coming together. I don't think it's just, but he could have an Ninja turtle hand. I got to look this up. If there's a guy that could pull off Ninja turtling, I think it's gotta be uh, a guy like Jamal Adams. So while you look up finger stuff, I'm going to talk about the offensive line. Charles cross is going to be starting looks like at left tackle. But the interesting thing is Abraham Lucas, their third round pick took all the first team reps at right tackle. Uh, one of the practices that they had for the the mini camp. So interesting thing to see two potential rookie tackles. And when you're in something of a rebuild, like Seattle doesn't want to talk about, I could see that being a, a situation where that makes sense for them. And then that goes to the other piece of, of what's going to come out of Seattle. And that's their quarterback situation. One thing you can say is it won't be Baker Mayfield. We'll talk a little more about him next time because he's over in Carolina now and their quarterback conundrum that they have. But it's going to be either Geno Smith or Drew Locke, which sounds like a story we should have had three, four years ago. But that's kind of the situation that that team finds itself in. Jason, Jacob Eason, who's a local boy that played at Washington, is in that uh, window as well. But it's just the, throw your shoulders in the air, your hands up and be like, what what's going on? When it comes to the quarterback situation there, this is going to be an interesting season for Seattle. And I don't think anyone should be too concerned about them making a ton of noise in a very difficult NFC West. The only real question that they have left is, is DK Metcalf going to come back happy or disgruntled? And what's that going to be like for them with his contract situation and all those, those things. But so what'd you figure out about fingers? Anything new? Well, I Googled it, Jamal Adams finger fusion, and I've seen a lot of pictures. All right. The, he's, he definitely dislocated his fingers a lot last season because mm -hmm. um, I see him holding his hand up there. Yeah, it definitely looks consistent because, you know, it's very much different time frames here in different games where you can see his hands and fingers are all crooked. But uh, assuming this picture that I see from social media is indeed Jamal Adams hand, it looks like, yeah, his on his left hand, the two middle fingers are very much sewed together. Okay, so it's kind They're of a fused together. Of yeah. So he still has the yeah. same. Okay, gotcha. So he still has the same width to to his grip to be able to get his hands out wide. He's just using the middle two as like a little little I don't know, kind of. Yeah. And what's weird hook. is it's like they're only fused together from the palm of the hand up to the middle knuckle. So the, like the top half of the fingers oh, are still coming. separated. I feel like I would catch a football and just tear that apart. <laughs> he's got to tape them together. I don't know. Yeah, what's I would going imagine. On during during the games he's definitely going to be taped together so that's uh that's... you know what's funny about it is on the social media post he did or he zoomed in on his hand after the surgery so you can see all the stitches there yeah it just says that it's going to be a special year for me <laughs> i think that's accurate yeah i give him full props for for committing to that and and doing that for himself because again obviously he found that that was the best solution for him going forward and that's going to be something of, uh, of, you know, we got all kinds of Ninja Turtle claw like jokes you can make right there. But I, I say all those jokes with the utmost respect for a guy who put oh, yeah, he's one of my favorite safeties. That. Right. And also, yeah. again, we talk, we joke about, you know, not having contact. And so guys are being you know, soft or whatever. And we can say that sitting behind our microphones, but 
the uh, guys like Jamal Adams putting that kind of a commitment toward getting back on the field because he loves the game and, and believes what he's doing and helping out his team, stuff like that. Full props, full props for him putting himself into that situation. And so that kind of yep. wraps up uh, Seattle. It takes us through the East and the West and we'll do the North and the South next time. But uh, we wanted to touch on because there was a little holiday since the last time we've had it, a little 4th of July action. And it seemed like we should talk about beverages that we had over the course of the holiday weekend. We were going to talk about what you should have, uh, but we got derailed last week. So let's talk more in past tense. What did you get into as we wrap up the podcast? What, what did you get into for beverages over the holidays? You know, I had a couple beers that we've talked about a few times on here, so I won't spend much time on it. Okay. But I was fortunate enough to find a few uh, remaining superfluids, short superfluid. Ah, nice. Um, you know, I've talked a lot about Huma being like my go-to beer, but it's definitely not my favorite beer. It's just one mm-hmm. that's available year-round. I've said that before, too, but superfluid is definitely out of season. Um, I found some, bought it, had a few of those because that, that's probably my all-time favorite beer. To my surprise, though, because we all talked about how the shelf life of IPAs is not very long. Mm-hmm. Um, this is definitely out of season for it, but they still tasted great. But I only had a couple of those because that's all I could find. Couldn't Fair. find a whole six pack even. But I spent most of the holiday sipping some craft bourbon. It just felt right. You know, it's sure. Independence Day. Bourbon's very much American. Just felt right. And I know we talked about. Um, the particular bottle that I had purchased from Ironfish, the Stout Cask, because that's mm-hmm. you know, craft distillery, craft beer, kind of fused in one. So I had three uh, bottles of different uh, juice from, I call it bourbon juice. I have no <laughs> idea why. I always have three bottles of different juice from Ironfish. Um, one of them is obviously the uh, Stout Cask Ironfish. Another one is a four cask barrel strength mm. iron fish another one's a caribbean rum barrel cast strength bottle There's so what i did around. i did uh had myself a little uh whiskey war mm-hmm. if you will um and you know what i noticed too i saw a few things on youtube uh even though i had some cool ideas of calling things flight fights just because you know you go to distilleries and you get <laughs> flights and mm-hmm. flight fight just sounds right uh, in whiskey war, get it the F and the F and the W and W. Right. Definitely, we're, we are not the first ones on that. That's <laughs> definitely already being done. Mm-hmm. So definitely, even though we may have stumbled upon it, we are certainly not the first. Well, I like your other phrasing of things. We're gonna call them frisky flights from now on. There you go. Uh, so the 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 whiskey war here, or should I call it a bourbon battle? Frisky whiskey. See, you could have all kinds <laughs> of fun with this. I'm sure we're not the first ones to think of that as well. Right. But anyhow. So it's a little three deep whiskey war. The uh, for those who are wondering, the Caribbean rum cast came in first place, and I don't even know if it was close. And it's surprising because I am not a big rum guy. Oh, and it's weird. You take bourbon and kind of throw a little bit of rum esque into it. I don't know. It worked out. It nice. was very very good. It certainly won. Um, the sad news is, is last place was the one that was the the bourbon. You know with a hint of uh craft beer no the bummer. Stout one came in last place and it wasn't even close like it was it was so easy there was no back and forth it's like <laughs> oh that one's first that one's last and you're in the middle mm-hmm. what are you so yeah quick recap the uh stout cask bourbon last place the four cask second and caribbean rum barrel first place so there you go from a local craft distillery celebrating the bourbon and independence day for me what did you have 
Well, I didn't go the bourbon route just because I wasn't in a position to go buy a bottle and, and tear it up. But uh, well, I, I had these grab- bottles. They were just sitting there going, hey, JP, <laughs> how <Yeah>. are you? <laughs> and, and don't worry, we will definitely delve more into the craft world of spirits as we go uh, throughout the course of this show over the next however long we can keep doing this before you guys get bored with us. But I went the beer route on 4th of July. I ended up having a little impromptu hang with some friends and grabbed what I could at the place that I was at. And they had a few that looked like fun, so I gave it a shot. Started off with the boom sauce. I don't know if you've had that from Lord Hobo Brewing. I've heard the name and almost bought it based on the name. We talked about that quite a bit. Right. But no, I've never had it. So Lord Hobo is uh, in Massachusetts. And we've also talked about you know needing to branch out and do more beers more places. Exactly. And so that's a Imperial Double New England IPA because, of course, it's a New England IPA up there. And it was good. Uh, I only gave it a 325. It was all right. It wasn't amazing, but it was it was solid. I think you probably would have liked it even more than I did, but it was it was a good one. And then I had a couple of Michigan beers, went with Middle Coast Brewing up in Traverse City because that just seemed like fun at the time. One that I had called Hessian Revelry was a, a dunkel, but it was a dunkel with roasted pecans, which just that. Yeah, that is interesting. Right. And you know me. But it doesn't surprise me anymore. Craft beer has gone so crazy. I mean, I I, I won't go into this for too long. We can talk about another day if I haven't already. But I've had a craft (laughs) beer. It surprised me because I thought there were bugs in it. But no, it had little crumbles of graham cracker in the beer. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they feel like, well, because what it is, is is beer is getting to that point where it's like, well, everybody's done everything. So we need to be more wild, more out there, more creative to try to get people to notice us. And so they're doing things like a couple of graham cracker, et cetera. I can accept the fact that there may be some sediment in, you know, bourbons and beers and this and that based on the way it's aged. Crumbs of soggy (laughs) bread stuff. No. Is it uh, is bad. this like the the argument people have about you know having ripped jeans that you've made yourself versus ones that you bought with rips in it already? Cool. You, you can old? take me off on a tangent on that one. I got a hilarious story. We'll save it for another day. I feel like JP's starting to show his age a little bit. <laughs> At any rate, uh, no, it's from a job. Remember, I used to do painting and drywalling. Yeah, yeah. I'll just make it super short. <laughs> so I, was a, I did painting and drywalling in college, and the the pants that I wore had paint on them and tears mm-hmm. in them because I'm working in them. They're, they're junk work pants literally had another college kid like he saw him laying that was over at my house one day saw him laying in my like laundry basket mm-hmm. and offered me a hundred dollars for my jeans found out where i got them because they were awesome stylish yep like what that's the thing <laughs> so i made a hundred bucks oh there you go way to be efficient with your time because again you're gonna make hundred bucks for ahead, those man. and go get twenty dollar jeans and wreck another pair start them again and then sell each one for a hundo there you go i mean that so might be silly. A, so silly might be a little side project we'll see what we can go with that the other one that i had though to wrap up the beer talk and then wrap up the podcast is gw's little white lie it's a wheat beer with cherries in it from up at uh middle coast as Wait, well actual cherries in it actual well not actual chunks of cherry i'm so. sorry <laughs> not like your graham cracker right but uh, it was oh, a good one man. it was it was a wheat beer, but it had a little bit of just a little bit of a tang of, of sour and tart to it. So I enjoyed that. And it was a good one to wrap up the night with. I was pretty happy with my choices, uh, if maybe a, a little more than I should have been drinking with three different 16 ounces. But uh, it was still a good night. It was a good way to celebrate a little America Day. Pretty sure I sent you that shot of me wearing a little cat shirt, you know, USA cat shirt, because I thought it was hilarious. Oh, yeah. I got it for $5. So not quite $100 distressed jeans, but still. That kind of gives us a little wrap up. Anything else you want to add in, JP, before we call it a day? Yeah, hot take. Detroit's going to take Matthew Savoy at number eight tonight. Okay. And 
And maybe they follow suit with the Lions and the Pistons and get aggressive and move back up and get somebody like uh, Fersker, I might have butchered his name, you know, later in the round. That seems to be the de- Detroit trend lately. All right, Steve. Get your well, guy and come back up and get another guy. Stevie, you're on notice. Let's make it happen tonight for the Red Wings. We'll be talking about the NHL draft uh, next show on Saturday. We'll also be touching on some of the craziness in college football a little more so than we did today. And then also wrapping up the NFL so we can move on to all of the fun stuff that's going to be going on in the offseason. So we'll catch you in a few days. Have a brew. Have some fun. See you next time. Draft Draft.